Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld, continuing our series in the book of Matthew today called The Mysteries of Compassion. Turning your Bibles to Matthew 15, verses 10 to 20, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message entitled The Essence of True Religion. People are hopelessly religious. What's a religion? Well, I'm going to argue that a religion is a set of beliefs about that which is of ultimate importance. Now, if you believe that there is a God, that is, if you truly and consistently believe that, well, the answer is that what is ultimately important is God. He's imperative. Worship is mandated. Now, I know there are people who say that, you know, I'm not religious, and most people who say that are saying that because they don't actually believe that God is of ultimate importance. You know, from their perspective, it might be, you know, pleasure. It might be activism. That is, you know, a certain cause catches their attention. You know, the environment and global climate change is of ultimate importance. I know of people who have sports as their religion or the arts or riding motorcycles. And so they band together with a community of people who who profess the same religion. Religious beliefs demand fellowship with like-minded people. You see, the list of religious possibilities is virtually endless. But in our day, I know it's become quite popular to say, you know, I don't believe in organized religion. You know, usually that's said because a person has been hurt by a local church or because a person perceives hypocrisy to be there at a local church, or it might even be because a person has an undisciplined mind. There's no organized system of beliefs. That is, you know, there are people who are quite comfortable allowing a set of contradictory beliefs to rumble around in their own heads, unconcerned that the belief structure makes absolutely no sense at all. But to put it all together, I'm trying to make a point. It makes no sense to me to argue that you aren't a religious person. Actually, you are, whether or not you're capable of articulating the kind of religion that you have. Well, now, I've entitled my sermon, The Essence of True Religion. And you'll have to agree, that's quite a title. And by true, I mean not just that which is authentic, but that which is true, as opposed to that which is false. But how do I identify true religion? And I hope you see, it's a very good question. And before I begin to read today's passage, I need to provide the context. Jesus has been healing the crowds, and as he's doing so, he's approached by a delegation from the religious establishment in Jerusalem. They've come to express their displeasure that Jesus is not honoring the tradition of the elders, especially as it relates to the ceremonial washing of hands. And in response, Jesus accuses them of hypocrisy. They had set aside a plain command of God from Scripture and instead had substituted human traditions over obedience to the Word of God. That is, they told the people one thing about their religion, but in practice, they had done the very opposite. In truth, you know, they had made their traditions of greater importance than God, and that was their religion. That, then, is the background of our passage. Let's now read what I have called the essence of true religion. It's from Matthew chapter 15, 10 to 11. And he called the people to him and said to them, hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. So you have to imagine the scene because I think the scene is almost as important as what's being said. Jesus has been healing the crowds when he was interrupted by the religious delegation from Jerusalem. How dare you, they say, violate the traditions in how you eat your food. And then after a scuffle of words that ensues, Jesus called the people to him, says Matthew. 
That is, he turns his back on the Pharisees and scribes, and he says to the people whom he was healing, you come over here. I have something very vital that I must teach you now. Now, are the Pharisees and scribes still there? Well, Matthew doesn't tell us. Are they listening as Jesus teaches the crowd? Well, perhaps they are. And if they are, Jesus has simply turned his back on them, and he isn't speaking to them. He's done. As far as he's concerned, he has only so much time to throw rocks at the devil's dogs. It's far more important to help the crowd understand the altercation that's just gone down. Now, the words hear and understand means that he has something of vital importance to say. And if they miss this, then they've missed the importance of the altercation with the delegation of the religious leaders from Jerusalem. And then they'll be none the wiser. There are, as you know, all sorts of people who, when they hear of some kind of a strife or an argument, well, they think that the answer to the problem is always the same. Look, just smooth things out. You know, these people don't want to hear about the nature of a dispute, nor do they want to make judgment about what's right and what's wrong. I mean, can't we all just get along? And if not, maybe we should just ignore what just happened. Perhaps with time, we're all going to be okay and forget what's just happened. But they must make judgments on this matter. So much is at stake, says Jesus. And to ignore the nature of the dispute that I've just had, it's a dispute about the essence of true religion. Don't ignore that. It'll be fatal. And so here's the statement. According to the men from Jerusalem, eating with ceremonially unpurified hands is going to defile you. And in response, Jesus says, if you think that, you're straight up wrong. So it is crucial to understand what defiles a man or a woman, for that matter. Defilement doesn't come from what enters your mouth. It comes from what exits your mouth. In other words, defilement is that which comes out of your heart, comes out of your inner self. Go back to Matthew 12, 34 to 35, and Jesus is speaking here, and he says, You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. You know, in other words, the most important thing about your religion is what comes out of your mouth. Defilement, well, that pours out of the heart, flows onto the tongue. And eventually the putrid heart leaks out evil by what it says. Your words are a picture of your insides. Let's put that into modern terms, shall we? You know, we live in a day in which a great many people are, well, rightly, they're rightly concerned about the environment, about pollution, the impact of human defilement on the physical earth. But, but did you know that there is a pollution, there's a defilement that's far more serious than that? And I hope you heard me. Yeah, far more serious than that. It's a polluted heart that pours out polluted speech. Let me try harder to make that plain. We live in a day where political campaigns are often marked with an attempt to smear the other. It would be one thing if this were a legitimate concern that really does affect public policy but most often, these smear campaigns are based on half-truths, twisting of the facts, demonizing the opponent. And this is the defiled heart, utterly destroying that which comes into its path, its defilement. And that's also true for non-politicians. I mean, people who marginalize others through gossip and untrue words and unfounded accusations. You know, in the case of the Pharisees, Jesus is arguing that these men are deceiving you. I mean, these men actually think that moral purity comes about through rites of religious purification rather than the renovation of the heart. And unless the crowd identifies the nature of true religion, that is, renovation of the heart, 
This crowd is always going to be susceptible to false teachers. Well, now, that's what Jesus taught this crowd. This is the essence of true religion. Does it change your heart? Does your religion take away your inner defilement, or does your inner defilement simply stay? Is your religion merely outward and just for show? Get this right, says Jesus to the crowd. Now, this kind of straight-up teaching, regardless of who's listening, well, it has the disciples deeply concerned. So we read now Matthew 15, 12 to 14. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered them, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Now, first, Jesus was speaking to the crowd, but now he's speaking specifically to his disciples. And so I have to assume that the crowds have now gone away. And if the Pharisees heard what Jesus had said to the crowd, I'm assuming that those words left them in a murderous mood. And now everyone's gone, you know, except Jesus and the twelve. And they're deeply concerned about the ramifications of what's just gone down. Jesus has not only insulted the men from Jerusalem by calling them hypocrites, he has then told the crowd that these men can't help you get right with God. It's an utter repudiation of them. The disciples are saying, look, Jesus, these guys, I mean, they're going to go back to Jerusalem. And Jesus, you've got to know, you've just made enemies with some very, very powerful men. Now, we need to think this matter through. I mean, on the one hand, Jesus has made it clear that that words, harsh and evil ones, come from a defiled heart. But has not Jesus, with his harsh denunciation of the Pharisees, also exhibited the same thing? I mean, is he being consistent? Let's think about that when we come back. Imagine walking the very streets that Jesus walked or placing your foot into the Sea of Galilee. If experiencing the very places Jesus, Paul, David, and so many others lived and taught is something you've always wanted to do, then make plans to join Back to the Bible Canada for our 2021 Israel Experience. Consider this your personal invitation to join Bible teacher Dr. John Newfeld. Laugh Against Phil Calloway, and very special musical guests, along with the Back to the Bible Canada ministry team for a trip of a lifetime, April 11th to the 19th, 2021. Experience the sights, sounds, history, and culture of Israel, making the Bible come alive. And for those who'd like to extend their experience, we're also offering a Jordan extension. So to learn more or to register today, Call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit us online at backtothebible.ca. It's very important to make a distinction between things like slander and things like confronting evil men. Now, if I understand Jesus correctly here, he's saying that when we create a religion devoid of the worship of the one true God. And when that religion attempts to set up some authority that is greater than God, well then, at that very moment, there's no room for compromise here at all. It's not a matter of whether someone might be offended because quite frankly, something far greater than human feelings are at stake here. What's at stake is the truth. 
See, it's hard to know what motivated the disciples to try to correct Jesus. I mean, it's likely, at least so it seems to me, that they were genuinely afraid of the religious establishment in Jerusalem. And that's the thing about false religion. Whether it's a group of unaccountable elders in a local church or the authority vested into the office of the Pope. I mean, religious establishment types think that their authority is divine. I mean, very rarely will power players place themselves under anyone's authority voluntarily. I mean, no, no, they call the shots. I mean, they don't allow for prophetic voices to call them to account. Indeed, a great many powerful religious types have never experienced someone holding them to account. And so if it happens, I mean, people who might seem calm and rational under every other circumstance, when that happens, well, they're going to respond in wrath. And to this now, Jesus speaks about plants. He says, every plant that was not planted by my heavenly Father is going to be rooted up. Now, a literal rendition of this, every growth or everything growing that was not planted by my heavenly Father is destined to be torn from the place where it is growing. Now, he means here, Uh, that if there is a religious leader somewhere who's not growing according to the designs of God or giving leadership in the way that God has designed it to be, the person's going to be torn up. Now, it's very important here not to misunderstand. In some churches, charges are easily made against any leader. He doesn't relate well to the youth. He doesn't relate well to the elderly or some other group of people. He seems aloof. He's an introvert. He seems arrogant to me. He doesn't dress in the right way. He's not the kind of leadership this church needs at this present hour. And clearly the Father has not planted him here, so let's tear him out and do away with him. Now, hold on to that thought because I'm going to come back to that. But quite strictly, Jesus is saying anyone who encourages people to adhere to a religious tradition or principle that does not excite faith in the God of the Bible or in the authority of God, anyone who doesn't do that was not planted or was not growing by my Father. Any authority that is not obedient to and rooted in the will of Scripture is not a leadership that God has brought into being. And so Jesus says, if I allow myself to be intimidated by the devil's disciples, you know, I'd be obedient to men whom God has not established. So let's, for our sakes, make this as practical as we can. Let's think about 1 Peter 5, 1-2. It's a command to elders, pastors, and local churches. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. Here's the command. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Now, the key element in that passage is the command for church leaders to shepherd the people of God. And the Bible gives a great deal of context for shepherding. It includes teaching God's people the scriptures. It includes helping them read the Bible, teaching them how to read it properly, helping them making good application to their lives. It also includes winning the lost, correcting the erring, praying with people constantly, showing compassion for those who are suffering and caring for the needs of the hurting. It means at all times showing a concern for and a care for the spiritual needs of God's people. That's what shepherding implies. That's the task of Christian leaders. But let's say they're not doing that. What then? Let's say they simply exercise oversight, not as shepherds, but as executives. What if in the case of the religious establishment that Jesus fought with in Jerusalem, that that they're only advocating the traditions of men and compliance to man-made regulations. 
Well, Jesus' first response involves the response of discernment. Recognize, he says, discern, grasp the idea that these aren't God's people. And then from Matthew 15, verse 14, there's a second directive. Not just be discerning, but you need to leave the blind guides alone. This is a a directive, and it's very important. You know, I've known many a person who's part of, let's say, a liberal church, liberal denomination. They say, I'm staying to make a difference. Now, before I move on, let me try to be clear. You know, when I say liberal, here's what I mean. I mean a church that's not committed to sola scriptura. There are all manner of so-called Christian churches or Christian denominations who do not appeal to Scripture as the final arbitrator of truth. And they're liberal in the sense that they believe that the Bible doesn't have the final truth. And so they talk about either the, you know, the weight of human traditions or the weight of modern cultural movements. They talk about renovating the Christian faith to make it acceptable to modern unregenerate minds. And one example might be the belief that, you know, what our contemporary culture says about human sex and sexuality, that should determine what we think, rather than letting the Bible describe what is moral and what is immoral about our sexuality. You know, what should one do if one's in just such a church, one that denies the Bible? And my response is, well, now, that all depends on the position that you have in such a religious movement. I mean, if you're a bishop, or in the place of denominational leadership, and you need to stay and fight until they throw you out, or unless you win. But if you're merely a churchgoer, you're lying to yourself if you think you can make a difference. I mean, check out your church structure, and and you're going to see that you might not be able to make a difference. So what does Jesus say? He says, let them alone. They're blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Now, of course, It sounds very similar to what Jesus has already taught before. I mean, you need to go back to Matthew 13. There he told a parable of the wheat and the tares. The tares, said Jesus, are plants that were put there by the enemy. And in that parable, the servants ask, shall we pull the plants out? And in the parable, the servants are told, no, no, leave them alone. God's going to deal with them in the judgment of the last day. And the best treatment you can give a false teacher, stop listening to them. Stop attending their church. Stop giving. You know, go be fed in a Bible-teaching church that makes Scripture, Scripture alone, to be the final arbitrator on all matters of faith and practice. Leave them alone, he says, and above all, don't follow them. Now, our narrative is not yet done, and it turns out that the disciples have not understood. They're stuck on the image. What did Jesus mean when he said that everything that grows that was not planted by my Father is going to be rooted up? It's an image that seems strange to the disciples. So I'm reading now verses 15 to 20. But Peter said to them, explain the parable to us. And he said, are you still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Jesus is getting back to the false teaching of the Pharisees and their emphasis on external righteousness. Ritually cleanse your hands before you eat. And on the Sabbath, you can eat a meal, but not prepare one. And on the Sabbath, you know, you can walk a half a kilometer to visit a friend or a relative. But if that friend is a kilometer away, you can't go. I mean, the list of rules go on and on. 
So don't you see, none of this will take away your sin or make you holy. These are the rules of a man-made religion. And if you violate the rules of man-made religion, you're not unclean. It won't make you a sinner to ignore human traditions. And on the other hand, if you entertain evil thoughts, ah, that's a different matter. You know, another translation has wicked schemes or wicked deliberations. In other words, you know, that gave rise to our English word dialogue. I mean, watch the kind of dialogue that you have with yourself. What kind of thoughts are you thinking? What secret and evil things are you planning to do? Because wishing, and when it's only wishing, can still deeply defile you. But very often, wishing breaks out into conduct, and then the individual continues to be deeply defiled. And that brings us back to the essence of true religion. True religion is religion that comes from the true God. What he commands, we will do. True religion is about that which utterly transforms a man or a woman from the inside. It cleanses the heart and makes us new. True religion is never an external show that hides the evil that lives from within. True religion is that which comes to Jesus with open hands and says, Lord, save me, for I am a sinner. Because in the end, that is true religion. Jesus alone saves and changes the heart from the inside and makes the man or woman new. John, uh, your message, your, the title of your message is actually very intriguing to me, The Essence of True Religion. Because religion can almost be anything that you worship. Uh, anybody can make up a religion and worship something. But at the very basics, the, the, the idea, the definition of true religion, what is that for you? Yeah, I mean, again, um, you know, Jesus says, from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery. These defile a person. So a true religion is that faith in God that takes a defiled human being and cleanses them from the inside. And that can only be done by an action of Jesus himself and and the Holy Spirit who comes and changes our hearts. It's very easy for us to develop traditions, to develop patterns, uh, to develop even a theology. And uh, I'm not arguing against theology. Look, I'm a theologian. But if all we do is develop a way of thinking that does not transform us from the inside, that gives us a great delight in God and a great hatred of sin and a great compassion for the hurting. Now, if those things aren't there, no matter what you say your religion is, it's just not true. It's defiled. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue in our series in the book of Matthew, The Mysteries of Compassion, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. Truth in Life today has been a wonderful journey of ministry. So many thoughtful, insightful guests shedding light on challenging topics of Christian life. While now in 2020, we look forward to continuing Truth in Life Today, but with a renewed purpose. This year, Truth in Life Today is becoming more personal, more interactive. Truth in Life Today videos, both archived and current, will be easily accessible through our Back to the Bible Canada YouTube channel or at truthinlifetoday.com. How is it more personal, more interactive? Well, each episode will be designed around your personal Bible study or small group study with Dr. John Newfeld leading the way. And every episode will provide you with study notes available through truthinlifetoday.com. 
So join us as we launch a new generation of truth and life today. For more information or to support this ministry, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit us at backtothebible.ca.